The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break my covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come from them, and the day where they will ask, Have you not had these disasters come over on us? Our God is not with us. And I will certainly hide my face in the day that because of all their wickedness and turning to the other gods. Today's New Testament reading can be found in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8. In your pew Bible, it's on page 1116. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prisons as if you were to prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all. As always, it's great to welcome you all here today to see friend and visitor alike. Well, I guess we're all friends, but we're going to talk today about one of God's promises. And it's one, I think, that strikes very deep at the core of our psyches. I um, did this to my child, and I watched people do this to their children. Usually that was enough to get him to turn around and come toddling our way. It was an implied threat of abandonment. I would have never left him at the mall. How many, okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I've proven already you're a dishonest congregation. And I'll be the only one going, yeah, I'm the only terrible parent who did that to a child, right? Uh, okay. No, I know you did it to your children. Because I, I, I sat at the mall and watched you do this. But... Um, we all have this deep-seated fear, uh, primal fear of being abandoned, somehow being left behind or alone. We're social creatures. Somewhere back, who knows how close to the uh, creation story, but it follows right after Genesis 1 and 2 and chapter 3, where Adam and Eve say, we don't believe you, we don't trust you. and find themselves naked and aware and thrown from a garden home and separated from all that they know not abandoned but no longer able to physically see God and walk with him in the garden face to face 
an intimacy lost. And now in the harsh world of thorns and thistles, in the harsh world of painful childbirth and the threat of life lost at every turn, in a world now with claws and teeth, man will carve out an existence. The poet says, no man is an island, but sometimes I think I want to disagree. In my own lonelier moments, and I think we all have them, I have a sense that very much I am an island. The larger truth of what's actually going on and what appears to be otherwise. Let me be a little clearer. We have lots of stories in which Israel, for example, makes choices, commits sins, or uh, does things, that cause judgment to fall upon them. They lose battles continuously, or they're invaded, or they're carried off into captivity, and they're made slaves for a period of time. There are multiple events and seasons in the life of Israel which would seem to indicate that God has turned his back on them, has forsaken and abandoned them, and even that language sometimes gets used. And yet the text we're going to explore today talks about an underlying reality. It is we who walk away often, if not always, from him. There's an inevitability uh, to that. That God never leaves us or forsakes us. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling, and he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now I want to stop there and just kind of uh, break a few of these things down for us. If God is indeed our light and our salvation, this rhetorical question, whom then shall I fear, is a good one. Uh, if the Lord is my stronghold, who do I need to be afraid of? Because there's no one like the Lord. And yet David is constantly doing battle with the wicked, those who would destroy him, devour him, his enemies and his foes, those who would trip him up and cause him to stumble, those armies that come after him. When you see the flash of the sword and the glint of the spear, your heart trembles, and yet his heart will not fear. Even in war with the Lord on his side, he will be confident. And here he makes his case. If I dwell in the house of the Lord, if I gaze on the beauty of the Lord, if I seek him in his holy place, in the day of trouble he will keep me safe because I dwell in him. Now that's a statement that we would put in contemporary terms about abiding. In fact, if we look at John... I believe John 15, the vine and the branches, you have a branch connected to the vine, symbolic of a person abiding in Christ. It is a form of dwelling. It is this way of being. And what David is describing is something I've described before, and I'm sure I borrowed it from some source I can't remember to give credit to. Forgive me. But we are moving in life from the house of fear in which we are born and live to the house of love, which is the house of our Lord. 
we are moving from fear into the security and the grace and the hope and the knowledge of God. We are moving from our place of vulnerability to a place of security because he has said he has us in the palm of his hand. God has your back. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And when we make our dwelling in him, the psalmist is absolutely right. When we gaze upon his beauty, we are not only distracted from all of the clamor and problems and threats around us, but when we live in the house of the Lord, we live in the house of love and not the house of fear. Our lives are engaged and protected and held in a special way that we ourselves only can choose to abandon for God will not give it up on our behalf. And the psalmist knows this. Oh, that I might gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I love that phrase. Do you think of God as beauty? Do you think of God as beautiful? I find myself living in his tabernacle making my dwelling in holy space. And I find myself exalted, placed upon the mountain above my enemies, safe in the tabernacle of my God. This is imagery David is giving us of abiding, living in God and God living in us, of eschewing fear that comes from lies, and hatred and threats, I will not leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. The psalmist goes on here to describe a worship scene. My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his table I will sacrifice, I will sing and make music. And that is the essence, isn't it, of worship? There is the crying out of the heart with joy. There is the shout, the song. There is the external manifestation of the joy within. And there is the sacrifice. David may be referring in this case to a bull or a lamb. Our sacrifice might be somewhat different. It might be a sacrifice of praise. It might be something in our lives we need to give up and lay at the altar of God that allows us to experience Him differently or newly. It might be something that hampers our capacity to hear or to see. Verse 7, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Why is David saying these things? Why is this the refrain? Have we not just heard these affirmations? Have we not just heard this psalm of strength and power and beauty? And yet, those of you who have been in long relationships, do you not still like to hear the words, I love you, from time to time? 
Do you not still appreciate the affirmation that you are valued or needed or wanted? Do you not still need to engage in order to keep a marriage or a relationship that's long-term alive? Is there not still a primitive fear within each of us that in point of fact we are very much alone in the universe? And David says, look, I'm going to do these things, but you know who I am. You know what I do. You know the unfaithfulness of my heart. You know the sins of my life. Don't reject me or forsake me. Don't give up on me, even though I'm still not who you want me to be. How many of us could sing that song? Don't forsake me. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And here comes the punchline. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. We do have examples of horrible parenting. We have examples of hateful people who commit atrocious and unthinkable crimes against children. We do have parents who murder their own children. But even in a world as wicked as ours, this is an aberration. And David goes to this very, very primal place. Look, even if the woman who gave me life and nursed me at her breast and the Father who provided, even if they give me up, you, O Lord, will never leave me or forsake me. That's pretty powerful. It's pretty deep. That's pretty primal. It doesn't get much more so for us creatures. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. There are the the things that we are and the things that we do, and then there's that which surrounds us, which isn't true about us. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. What David is doing is reminding us and himself in the, in the scope of human experience, there are times when it feels like God has left, forsaken, or abandoned us. Yes? And he says, I will be patient, for I will see the Lord in the light of day. I will be reminded again of his faithfulness, his steadfastness, his promise, his truth, that he will never leave me nor forsake me.
these psalms are ancient. We don't know the tunes to probably most of them anymore. At least many of them. Some of them have authorship we can't be sure of. But whatever the story, they're there as a resource to you. A very primal resource to help us remember the faithfulness of God which the psalmist comes back to despite the sea of emotion and the sea of conflict and the sea of problems that surround him. That which we are guilty of, that which we are accused of, that which is inner to us, that which is from the outside and presses in upon us, that which we see and that which we're blind to, that which we know for certainty and that which crowds our minds with fear and doubt. The treacherous enemies that are obvious to us and the even more treacherous enemies who lie to us and approach us with subterfuge. Whatever the case may be, he is with us and for us and will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a resource to you. Deuteronomy 31. Getting toward the very end of that particular book. And I have a few minutes, so I'm going to take time with the bulk of this passage because I think it, as a whole, it speaks in a way that the portion read does not. Let's start with verse 1. Joshua is to succeed Moses, and Moses is at the end of his journey or very close to it. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I'm now 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Israel obviously has come out of slavery, come out of a long period of wandering in the wilderness. So Moses wrote down his law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years and the year for canceling debts or jubilee during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your town so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing to the Jordan to possess. Now why would Moses say this? He's talking about two things. He's talking about the perpetuation of the knowledge of the law, which is catechism, what we teach and hand on as a legacy to our children and to those who enter our midst having not been taught these things as children. And secondly, he's highlighting to the twofold nature of covenant that God makes a conditional covenant and they will be his people keeping to circumcision and the law. 
There will eventually come a covenant that does not have that second part. It simply says, I am God and you will be my people. And I will write my law on your hearts. It will be intrinsic to you. But at this juncture, there's two things. Israel must be faithful and God promises to be faithful. And so Moses is telling people, if you want to be where you need to be, in the center of God's promise, in the sureness of his word, don't abandon what you've been given and make sure succeeding generations get it. Next part of the passage. Israel's rebellion predicted. It's uh, telling, isn't it? The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of the meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of the meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud and stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me. Forsake me. There's that word. And break the covenant I have made with them. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them and will hide my face from them and will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. Many disaster on us because our God is not with us. And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. Now write this down. Now write down this song and teach it to all the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. We remember things in song, don't we? You don't remember random words very well, but you remember lyrics. Some of you who are products of the 60s know all the Beatles lyrics. You can't help yourself. You heard them a thousand times on the radio. 70s, what would that be? The Eagles? 80s? Journey? Who knows? You know them all if you've, if you've heard them over and over. So learn this song and it'll be a witness. When I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised an oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come upon them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them in an oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath and I myself will be with you. Now what's going on here? God is having Moses teach them a song so that even when they've forgotten him and turned to other gods, they won't have forgotten the song. And the song have left God. They have abandoned covenant. They have broken faith. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. This is pre-new covenant. And Israel's deal with God is that they would keep his commands and have no other gods before him. And he would be their God. 
And he can see that they're going to step away from this. And he's warning them and he's building in everything he can to help them hear and know and see. That when he withdraws his grace and his power, terrible things are going to come upon this nation. Sometimes I know from experience and from seeing the lives of others that God does the same thing in some ways today. We're left to experience the consequences of our very negative choices. How many of you have made a choice you just simply regret? Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's a moral decision. Maybe it was a discipline decision with your children. Maybe it was something that you committed to do that you didn't do. Who knows what the nature of it is, but we've all done regrettable things. And whether we like it or not, we've all broken our word at one time or another too. And so here we have this situation where God knows what's going to happen and wants to remind Israel, hey, I have not forsaken you. You have left me. Now why is that helpful? Why am I making that point? Why am I beating this drum? I'm beating this drum and making this point and trying to drive it home to say that even in these stories where terrible things happen to God's people, even in these stories where it appears that God has truly forsaken them, he has only stepped away in response to the choices that they've made. You see, the thing about our God is that he doesn't insist you do it his way doesn't stand on your shoulder and bend your nation. He gives you choice and reason. He gives you opportunity and hope and experience and everything else. And at the end of the day, you have to decide where you want the bus to go. You have to decide the trajectory of your life. That's why the psalmist is saying, let me seek the beauty of God that I might dwell in his house that I might be safe there and elevated and put on a rock, that I might not be one who turns away from the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness and the strength and the honor and the beauty and the wonder of our God. Because he will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews, chapter 13. Deuteronomy 31.6 is quoted here. The author of Hebrews is exhorting Christians. Live as you've been instructed. Be hospitable. You never know who you're entertaining. Be moral. Pay attention to those who are suffering. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew. I was naked and you clothed me, hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me to drink, in prison and you visited me. 
sick and you took care of me. Be content. Honor what God has done in your life. Don't be greedy, lustful, prideful. Because God has said this, I'm your God and there is no other. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my help, and as the psalmist would say, my help and my salvation. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. And when God is for me, who can be against me? What could any human being do to me that really matters because Jesus Christ who gave himself for me and for you is the same yesterday today and forevermore